0: Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of We All Speak in Poems. It's been a while, we took a little bit of a break for the last six months or so, but today we're back with a very exciting episode with uh, Craig Adams. He's a YouTuber and minimalist and hiker and a whole lot of other things uh, which we'll delve into in this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Right away I wanted to ask about your move to Colorado, how that's that's been, because you moved from, from New York, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. About six months ago, we moved from New York, my wife and I and our puppy Sasha, and we picked Denver for some reason. I had been here. We wanted to like try the mountain life outdoorsy type of lifestyle. But you know, after six months, we've kind of realized that we want to move back to New York. (laughs) We're like, we're like the nightmare for everyone here. All the locals. They're like these New Yorkers moved out here and now they're going back. It's like, (laughs) it's kind of funny. It's sad. What's in <laughs> What's
0: in New York that's not there? I guess is it the people, the convenience of the city, or?
1: Yeah, we've slowly realized that our families are in Israel, so connected by airports, and then mine is on the East Coast. So it's families, one thing; it'd be easier over there. And our friends are in New York and on the East Coast, and we're just not like outdoorsy to that degree like colorado is a special breed people who live in the mountains are kind of wild for outdoorsy things and we've realized we just like cities like we like to walk around and get coffee and go to nice restaurants and do city things
0: that's very surprising for to hear coming from you (laughs) you know you're like the hiking guy the outdoorsy guy um
2: but I guess that's, that's your job. So where does your job stop and your personal life begin, right? And living in the city probably mm-hmm. makes that easier for you to disconnect from that.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But through my work, I feel like I get more than enough adventure and outdoor stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. That's
0: fair. Yeah, yeah. Making it so it's not your entire life you know, yeah. you do get a little bit of a break from it, you know, cause we've talked a lot about moving from Toronto to, you know, Alberta or Vancouver or something like that, where there are mountains. Um, but I guess it's also the opposite where our work is very, it's very much not being outside. It's very much cooped up in, in an office or whatever, most, most of the time alone too. So like being able to have that option of mountains and all that seems very nice, but, uh, It's an interesting perspective. I guess for you too, though, like majority of your job is probably editing
1: in your office, right? Yeah, yeah. And things are shifting this year. Like my mindset is totally like plans for 2023, what went well or didn't work in the previous year and what do I want to do differently? So probably more office work. Um, Like as much as people put the label of hiking YouTuber on me. I think this is the year that I renegotiate that social contract I have with subscribers and get back to literally doing whatever I want, not just hiking. So we'll see.
2: I've kind of noticed that a lot with your um, YouTube platform. Like you've delved into so many different things. And recently you've started your podcast where you did talk more about that and you were kind of letting all your ideas out that you have for yourself in your future and it's very exciting. Mm. And I think it's really cool that at least this is how it comes off, that you don't really keep that pressure of fans on you. you you're you doing what you want to do. Like you're experimenting with things you're interested in experimenting with. Um, is that right? Yeah. Or do you have a bigger pressure there that you don't let through?
1: No, it's nice knowing that you took a look into what was going on. But I think you're right. The fans, the community can be a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Like, they're great. They're fans. They're like helping you do what you do. And there can be like some sort of like social <laughs> friendship in a weird way. But on the other hand, there's a bad side of, of constantly asking other people, uh, what should I do? Where should I go next? Yeah. What did you think of this thing I created? Because it starts to, you know, have some negative effects. Like, you know, I just always, making stuff for other people and and caring what they think uh yeah but it can be a good thing and bad thing it just depends on where the criticism or advice is coming from
0: yeah and i've always felt that you had like a good sort of balance of of that because you very often do ask your fans you know what do you want to see what did you like what did i do right here or do wrong here um but at the same time you also try new things that probably a lot of people probably haven't um recommended like even even the podcast i'm sure a lot of people do ask for that especially for behind the scenes stuff and you were doing those streams after your hikes and all those which were really cool um but yeah i don't know where i was going with that but you know it was it, it's really <laughs> cool and, and with the bringing up the podcast that you've been doing like obviously me and Chantel were looking a lot into you the past couple of days but we listened to both episodes and it ended up being turning into like a three-hour conversation with me and her just like going off of what you're, you were saying, like, especially with my job and trying to find out what to do, you know, it's a really interesting conversation. And I think a really interesting mindset that you have to have when you're doing a a job like yours or mine or, or yeah whatever.
2: i think a lot of creative people in creative positions get really stuck in the rhythm of things like you get so used to people responding well to your solo silent hikes that you feel that pressure to just continue doing that but you don't have to and you seem like someone who really does constantly try and fight that and think outside of the box mm,
1: yeah my life goes, goes through waves so i feel like i did the thing. And now it's time for something different. Cause if I kept doing silent solo hikes and what people like, I would just be more and more entrenched in having to do that. And like I said, I'm renegotiating the the contract, you know, um, getting back to whatever it is and whether it is the podcast, even like calling something a podcast is kind of, yeah. I don't know, crazy to me because I see so many similarities just between normal YouTubers who just talk about whatever they want versus like what is like a podcast? Like is it audio only? I don't know. So yeah, just getting back to making videos about whatever I want, and then if I go on a trip, I can go on a trip. I don't have to. True.
0: Yeah, and, and that's something that we took a lot from your, you know, podcast and stuff too. Is like you really love vlogging, right? and Hmm. and sort of documenting your life it seems and you know there's so many genres for for selfish reasons yeah exactly (laughs) and there's so many genres to explore there like and you've sort of done i would say most of them um Hmm. but yeah i'm really excited do you have so with your plans going into 2023 um do you have anything extra special planned or or is it just like literally month by month you're just trying to figure it out still
1: I have big goals, but I'm a fan of doing things in the smallest, easiest way and then building upon that success and working up from there. So the big goal would be to stream more and then to produce pretty much all of my content from those streams. Uh, And then, like I said, if I go on a trip, I would do it in my own way. If uh, I do sponsorships, I want to do it in my own way. I've got some ideas for how I can do both of those differently. So whether the community likes it, whether they don't, you know, the more I kind of upset people about what they expect, like the sooner, the better. Cause like over time they'll, they'll either leave or get on board. Like as long as I'm doing whatever I want, making the videos I want, that's what's important. And yeah, I already shot a video that's called plans for 2023 and I'm editing it currently. So it's, it's very funny. Like, do you get in this mindset of like thinking about the year ahead in January? Is this a typical thing for most creative people?
0: I think so. Like, Especially in music, you kind of have to plan ahead because I was gonna ask too, like what your editing sort of timeline is. But like with music, you make the songs, and then you have to wait like a year, and then by the really? time it comes out, yeah, like I'm I'm releasing my next album, yeah. but it's been done for. For a year.
2: Yeah, but not always like when you were running things solo, you could make music and literally the next day have it out. But oh, when because solo, you're with yeah. a label, it's it's all a little bit more scheduled and planned and more thought out, I guess.
1: Yeah, mm. but at least for me, I've
0: always been like two
1: years ahead, Yeah, you know, in plans for the most part. That's very interesting. I, oh, I personally see everything in terms of just how much freedom versus how much money and growth. And it seems like there must be some tremendous benefit to signing with a label. If it takes that amount of creative freedom and like posting what you want, when you want, where you want.
0: Exactly. And what you just said, like the positive is, um, guaranteed income, right. Instead of, instead Mm of fluctuating income every month. And, uh, who knows when you'll get paid sometimes just first money exactly exactly <laughs> it causes so many problems we just want to do what we want to do exactly you like sometimes distributors from you know spotify and stuff they'll just miss a month and then you won't get paid that month or it's late or it's early sometimes and it's it's very strange there's no regulation um mm. whereas from my understanding with youtube at least like you're constantly getting paid right adsense at least from from
1: AdSense. Yeah. Goog, the Google financial system is, is purring along and, and sending me paychecks every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a small portion. Well, you know, a piece of the pie, but yeah, third party sponsorships and, and random businesses can be here or there when it comes to payment. But yeah, this in terms of payment and,
0: and monetization and stuff, this brings up an interesting thing. So there's a, there's a YouTube channel that I watch called Colin and Samir. Uh, you've probably heard of them. They're great. Um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. More in, the, yeah. More in their merch. Fast published, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, and they, they often talk about how creators can make relevant merch or relevant whatever, monetization. And something that you did was those group hikes, which are very interesting when we started hearing that you were doing those. Um, I didn't look too into them, like, too far into them. But how did those work? Did you, like, team up with some sort of travel guide company or or was it all um independent or yeah
1: yeah i originally planned on doing it myself but it started to become too much work and a lot of communication and planning and booking so i went with a large company called trova and they took care of everything all i had to do was sell tickets which i did but that turned out to be like a very convoluted process and the tickets were just sold so far in advance and uh I just, I realized that I had no control over the trip itinerary, which was in hindsight, the biggest problem. Like I just didn't have fun on these trips and when I'm not having fun, it's hard for me. Like I'm a very introverted, introverted person. So it's amazing that I did these trips in the first place, but, uh, that didn't work out. I did four trips with Trova and then I did, um, two trips with a mom and pop shop doing the exact same thing, but just on a smaller scale. And this husband-wife team, like, were, like, I was literally texting them, and they were actually there on the trip with me, and it was just so much better. So, uh, out of those two, I liked. I'm gonna continue to probably work with the mom and pop shop, Vagabond Trails, um, but you know, in line with plans for next year, I might only do one. <laughs> I'm not gonna do four or five or six like last year. I definitely got burnt out with those because it's it's too good to be true. They're like. You're going to make money, you're going on a cool trip for free, and we'll take care of everything for you. And no, no, it doesn't work out like that. (laughs) Did you find that the people signing up
0: for them were like, they must have been like pretty big fans, but were they there for the hike or were they there to meet you? Or like, was there this weird like dynamic there?
2: Or was it like more of an educational thing too? That's what I was wondering if people were trying to also kind of pick up the solo hike YouTubing Oh yeah. Seeing how you do that or just learning how to hike successfully. Right?
1: Yeah. I had expectations that they would be more creator type trying to learn, but a lot of these people were just super fans who had never been out of the country and wanted to go on their first trip. And this was like a good example or a good reason to do so. Uh, they, a lot of these companies try to upsell workshops. So whether it's selling one-on-one consultations during the trip or just like come over here for a special amount of money and we'll teach you something. But I, I didn't want to do that. I'm, I feel very uncomfortable teaching people directly for money. Um, but they were all nice. A couple were young. Um, some like couples went on the trips. Um, I made a couple friends but it's a weird thing meeting your fans. I don't know, especially when like hanging out with them for a week. It's, it's not my thing. I don't like it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I think I'm in the same uh, boat there with you.
1: Yeah. It's like a weird dynamic dynamic where they know a lot about you and you don't know anything about them. So there's a lot of expectations and everyone was nice. You know, everyone's pleasant, but for me to go out of my way and do it over and over again, like just doesn't make sense for me. And the only thing that would make it worth it is if i made a bunch of money doing it and i also feel weird about that so i wouldn't want to like charge ridiculous amounts of money to like have the privilege to (laughs) go eat some bavarian food with craig and the alps (laughs) it's stupid
0: i mean it is interesting though that you know that people do want to do that right they will pay a lot of money just to hang out with you it's like it's pretty cool i understand your mindset and i also would feel uncomfortable with that i think and i think so would you um but it's just very interesting like you're you're a, somebody who just posts videos on youtube and it sort of creates this uh hierarchy whether you like it or not whether we all like it or not um and that's a whole other topic but it's just it's a very interesting little uh little thing to get into your mind i think
1: yeah and it would be it could be lucrative if I started my own business because it is a good product. You know, I am generating interest for people to have the same experiences that I've had. And what better way to do that than to go on a trip with me? You know, it's like a live stream of the video that I'm creating, but you get to be there with it. You know, it's it's an interesting idea, but I, once again, I'm just not what everyone else expects me to be. Like, I literally don't like... <laughs> I don't, I just don't want to be in social situations like that. I don't like the pressure. I don't like charging for education. I would rather just have complete control over the itinerary and not be told what to do, where to go. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So cool.
2: Yeah. I'm a diva. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I was going to ask you before we got a sidetrack talking about me, Jesus, um, <laughs> Like the music that you're making, like, have, have you always been able to protect, like making the music for yourself or is that not important to the process? Like, do you ever think that you're making music for yourself?
0: Uh, I think that I always make music for myself. Like for the most part, when people ask me to, you know, go back to a older sound or whatever, like the truth is I'm, I'm not a very good musician, like. In in terms of theory and stuff, I can't just switch it and be like, "Oh, I want to create this mood." It just literally has to be. I'm creating how I'm feeling during the day, and it you know if that gets released, it gets released. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. I've I've never really felt that pressure to have to conform to what a fan wants or or whatever though. For yes, the most part,
2: no, though, because you have admitted many times that like you try to follow. The algorithms that will um, yeah. get your stuff on certain playlists and stuff. But that was also really before um, going onto a label. And that would have been the process of trying to make money more consistent was getting on playlists. So you had to conform your sound. And personally, I feel like your stuff used to be a lot more raw and emotional. And now you really try to kind of steer away from that.
0: Yeah, lately, I've been wanting to just make kind of neutral music, whereas before I made what I called sad dark music um, but yeah I've definitely I've definitely conformed to you know Spotify's you know gatekeeper algorithm um, whether I like it or not or whether it's um, intentional or not as well um, but it's interesting a lot of people have like really negative sort of um, experiences on the internet right especially youtubers and stuff where you get comments all the time. Um, and people expecting too much and all this but the people who have always listened to my music have always been very respectful for you know just they get what they get with with what i put out right and i don't know if it's something i've done or if it's just you know the right fan group um Hmm. but it's pretty interesting and that comes onto the topic of music um with you and how you choose music for your videos um how do you how do you think about that because A lot of the time, it's ambient, piano, or lo-fi, I've found. Um, Is that Mm -hmm. just what you gravitate towards? Or or is it intentional because it just, like, fits the... Obviously, your Iceland video fits ambient music, but it could also fit, you know, whatever else. So, like, what's your... Yeah. Your process. What's your process?
1: Yeah. Over the years, I've definitely moved towards more cinematic music than most just inspired by the movies that I love and just being personally affected emotionally by music. I wanted that in my videos, but things changed with Hornstrandir, Iceland, the hiking video that I used, your beautiful, sad, somber music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had never heard music that fit exactly like I I knew cinematic music, I knew ambient, but your tracks for that piece were just so extreme. I was a little nervous to use it, but honestly, it fit perfectly. Like it was hiking alone for days in the middle of nowhere with no one around. And it was kind of boring and sad and like somber and slow. And, um, you know, I was constantly thinking to myself and just like having these internal, like, Keeping myself busy and just like walking around and thinking, and the music was perfect for that. Um, and then as I started to do more solo hikes, that type of ambient drone esque music fit as well. But honestly, like there's just something special about the pieces that I used for that Hornstrandier one, and it's the one that blew up, it's the one that kind of changed everything. So yeah. I, it's just like interesting to reflect on. Cause like, I don't think if I used your music for that video, it would have turned out anywhere close to what turned out. It's just interesting to think about.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. Especially cause the music and the songs that you chose were very not like you said, they, were, they weren't typical, um, landscape music, you know, they were kind of noisy and they were very dark and somber. Um, It's funny, too, with that video, like I've seen that that opening shot of you in the bathroom window or the bathroom mirror so many times Mm. because I always have to get the link for it for whatever, like a a press thing or or Hmm. whatever. Um, And, you know, it's funny because that video changed a lot for you, but it also changed a lot for me. And I'm assuming the other artists that uh, you used in that video, the amount of messages I got and followers I got and people also wanting to use my music after that really changed a lot especially through music bed which i'm pr- fairly sure you found it through um mm-hmm. you know it, it helped with that too all of a sudden other people started licensing my music a lot on that and it, it really gave my music a distinct visual identity which a lot of people still consider and so yeah thank you for using the music because <laughs> it it it's crazy.
2: But just to go off of like the fact that you used that song to kind of set the mood for how you were actually feeling during it, when you first started your solo hiking trips, how did that go for you mentally? Like I know you kind of did just touch on it, but did it get easier? Was it difficult? How did you get through that?
1: Yeah, the process was fresh to me. I'd never hiked before the Peru hike, which was not too far, you know, after Deer or before in Hornstrander. So I was making a lot of mistakes in choosing how many of those mistakes to put into the video. (laughs) And I was starting to hike alone and travel alone a lot more than usual. And I was going through like a breakup and I was trying to figure out how to make money with videos. So it was a very tumultuous, tumultuous time for me. I was figuring things out. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Did they
2: feel kind of healing for you to to go on these solo hikes and have that time alone to really just delve through things personally? Or do you think it would have been Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um it was nice to like embrace being alone and it's it's weird to be surrounded by people and feel alone because you feel like you're out of the ordinary and like it's wrong. Like you have all these people you could go do something and have fun, but when you are alone in these landscapes, like, it's the correct feeling to be alone and a little sad. Yeah. <laughs> so it sure. just, it matched. I haven't thought about it in that terms, but yeah, that, that makes sense. It solves my problem a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Is this <laughs> therapy? <laughs> <laughs> With that,
0: it, it kind of reminds me, you know, because people do those retreats. I, you know more about them than I do the silent retreats. And, you know, they're supposed to be very healing and all this stuff. I've never actually even considered it because I don't know if I'd be able to handle it. But um, it kind of reminds me of, of that a little bit. Yeah. Even though I guess it is alone. Those retreats are with people, right? They're yeah. are supposed to be silent I, for although, a week yeah. or surrounded by like 50 people or something.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, then they weird. do like meditative practices where they are closing their eyes and they can kind of set the tone for themselves and act as though they are alone. But,
0: it, on on the solo hikes, do you find yourself talking to yourself?
1: <laughs> it's just <laughs> um, I'm just... Yeah. Got that in my mind. Just just in a funny way more so talking to animals oh, cool nothing too crazy out of the ordinary but like when i'm alone hiking i do recall saying good morning to every bird the first Aww. bird that i see every morning i'm like good, good morning that's bird." that's
2: so sweet <laughs> that's actually yeah,
1: silly. silly silly things like that and, and whenever i find a dog that's willing to like let me pet or play it's the best
2: yeah we have yeah. a lot of Instant questions wind. about the, the dogs, dogs the hiking dogs that is so cool like we've <laughs> been hiking in the Adirondacks and Iceland and Colorado a little bit, but we've never run into an area where they have hiking dogs. How does that work?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The ones in Nepal are real special because they live on the mountain. They're, you know, big dogs with a lot of fur. The dogs in Spain were pretty cool. Every so often you'll, you know, you're hiking past a lot of farms. So there's a lot of working dogs, some dogs that are there to protect sheep. So they have those big spiky collars and they're like you know, big dogs. But, um, like I said, I'm, I'm out there by myself. So anytime a dog says hello, it's the best.
2: That's so cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I know like, like you were saying, um, cause we weren't even planning on talking about hiking this much
2: because yeah. we know like,
0: you know, <laughs> it's kind of a music podcast and all that stuff. And I know that you said, you know, maybe not that you don't want to be considered the hiking YouTube guy, but how do you like, If there was a genre for what you make in in general, not just the hiking stuff, like do you have a name for that stuff or like a vibe or a mood or, or, uh, or, or no, do you not really think about it?
1: Yeah, I don't think about it and I don't go out of my way to do it. I, I can see why people would make bios or, you know, they're kind of trailers for people who don't know you to quickly gain some sense of what you do. Uh, So I understand why they do it, but I don't, I just, I struggle with being put inside a box. Like I just don't want any, any expectations from anyone to do anything. (laughs) Like I just, I value freedom so much compared to what I like most people. So I every, every ounce of freedom I can gain back in what I do. I try to do that.
2: I love hearing that.
1: Bios are such a a small way of doing that, (laughs) but I have to protect it. I'm
0: always not excited to do sort of the intros, even to these shows, right? To the podcast where it's like, you have to put people into a box, like you said, to sort of give people an idea of who they are.
2: It places a label on you though, and then it's hard to break free from that label, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: But that's why I also like hearing what you were saying, like going forward, you want to be doing like the streaming thing and then making most of your content from the streaming, doing sort of, uh, it seems pretty common now, but like the Ludwig thing where, you know, he streams all day and then he has, I'm assuming an editor go th- back through and make, you know, 20 minute videos of the interesting parts. But what do you, what do you plan on streaming? Are there, I know you do your gaming and stuff. Do you just plan on like, you know, brain dumps or, or.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's funny you bring up Ludwig because he's actually one of the big examples that I use in the video that I just shot. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a good example of someone who streams, but. Most, I you know, the creators that I see and follow, a lot of them produce their content in the same way. They have a, cam- a computer with screens and then a camera, just like we have right now. And I, for this year, w- want to go back to just like telling the stories of what is going on. Like if I go on a trip, there's a story. Like I usually do hiking guides, but that with everything, whatever I want to talk about, like I do have a list of topics. And I like to talk about things and in, in retrospect, so everything that I learned from, you know, traveling, living out of a backpack, everything I learned about just the silent ho- hiking genre, you know, it's, it's very similar to a podcast in the sense of talking about how this thing, how I got to it, how it is right now. And then my plans for in the future. Um, but the guest on the podcast is kind of chat, uh, and they can be involved in some way and help steer the conversation a little bit. But I just, I love the idea of streaming Mm -hmm. and producing clips from there. And then occasionally vlogging for myself to remember my favorite memories and I'm protecting the, the category. Like it's literally just going to be whatever I want to talk about. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of sort of, you know, I always try to, you know, internalize things in terms of music cause it's like the only thing I understand, but like, you know, the streams and stuff are kind of like singles. And then the vlogs are a little bit bigger projects, which are kind of like albums, um, which sounds pretty cool. Do you plan on doing that all on YouTube or like Twitch as well?
1: I plan on staying on Twitch. Oh, um, yeah. or <laughs> no YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I just don't consume on Twitch as much. So I don't speak the language. I speak the language of YouTube. So I feel like I I have a home there. So I should just keep, you know, tending that garden. For sure. Yeah, and, and Instagram is just not as fun these days. And TikTok is just a crazy version of YouTube that I don't have time for, so. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of work for for not a lot of payoff <laughs> on TikTok.
0: Especially,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Um, but kind of going back a little bit you went to school for film when you first went to college for film what were if you had any goals from getting that degree like did you have big dreams of producing of being a part of filmmaking and stuff like a movie obviously you still utilize your filmmaking skills but were you thinking bigger pictures
1: I wasn't experienced enough to have my own dreams, so I borrowed them from other people. Mm-hmm. So other people, you know, projected that I should be a movie director or uh, a person on crew making movies, and eventually I'll earn the right to make my own. Little did I know, like you could just all do all of this in a smaller version and have more creative control. But people, you know, pushed me to do internships in Hollywood. I did an internship after college at MTV. Oh wow! And. I'm not at MTV. So you can tell how that turned out. Um, there was just one point in my career when I almost had like a job at a marketing firm in New York city. But the moment I said no to that contract and went full into weddings and then eventually like the business of weddings on YouTube and then fell in love with YouTube and started just doing more freedom uh, based work, more passion work. Um, yeah, that's, it's a big crazy answer to your question <laughs>
0: no it's good uh talking about the wedding thing i we have a big question about your wedding <laughs> film channel because you mentioned that you sold it and mm. that was really interesting to hear and looking back on it i'm pretty sure we found it um the people who bought it still do upload wedding content
1: i think right yeah so like this this whole thing will be a wonderful topic to talk about maybe in like a three part series because it is a crazy story. Yeah. But yeah. I sold it, they sold it and then they sold it again. Oh, so wow. I don't even know who has it right now. It's never been the same. My videos still exist there. Yeah,
0: We found that today.
1: It's crazy. It's such a weird thing to sell like a digital asset, like a, an email list on YouTube, you know, yeah. like to change those expectations. Like those people are like had no say in me selling it. It's weird. The subscribers.
2: Yeah. What was that process like? Was it just that you pretty much just sold the mailing list or was there more to it?
0: Yeah. And did, did somebody come up to you or were you looking to sell it?
1: Yeah. I knew I wanted to move from weddings into whatever was next, which was New York city vlogging and travel. So I started to reach out to past sponsors. So I thought that like a music bed or soundstripe, or art list or, you know, media, like whatever companies that I worked with might want to buy it because it's just like, they could probably just profit off of the customer base market. Um, but it turned out that, um, just individual creators who wanted to have a YouTube channel was more the, the customer for the, the YouTube channel. So I just negotiated that we set up, it was a filmmaker in Australia. And he paid in installments and then we did some kind of consulting like waterfall, like I'll do like a meeting with you every month to talk about what you're doing with the YouTube channel during the transition. And then as soon as he paid all the money, I was gone. So he had all the email like login stuff and that was it. It was actually pretty easy to like transfer ownership.
0: That is so interesting, and I'm excited for this. You know, hopefully, three part series of that because yeah. I want to <laughs> know all the ins and outs. I want to like
1: a Netflix mini series. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, yeah, and just talking about the whole like that whole chapter of my life was a big one. So there's a lot to talk about. Even Pat, you know, before the the sale of it, like the reason why I gave up something that was making me money for the first time, and just like just the affiliate links with selling gear to wedding filmmakers on that tiny channel. I think it had like 80,000 subs, which is small compared to what I'm seeing now. But like, like I, I think I was making like six or 7,000 a month just from people clicking on affiliate links on Amazon, which was a lot for me back then, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. And like, it's so interesting, right? Cause you find this on YouTube, at least with a lot of niche, um, very niche um, content where they end up almost being more successful with a smaller fan base. And and that's a really interesting concept to me because everybody wants to get as big as possible, but all you really have to do is, you know, grow and, and stir your little group that you already have. Right. Yeah. Especially if it's, you know, wedding photographers who are always looking for new gear to get the most sharp shots and, it's it's kind of like the whole financial side of YouTube too, right? Where their AdSense revenue is absolutely insane because the people who are clicking on them are looking to make money instead of... and willing to pay money to make money instead of, you know, somebody who's looking to build a website on Squarespace. You know what I'm
1: saying? <laughs> yeah. And just the the way that YouTube treats growth at any cost is kind of something that I don't think creators are really talking about these days. Um, I don't know where you might get that pressure in as a musician, but YouTube has like, every time you post, it's one out of 10, uh, of your previous videos. Like how does your yeah. recent video do compared to all the other others? And then just the amount of stats that they throw in your face in comparison to the last. So you're always competing with yourself is insane. It's maddening. And this mentality that you should always be getting more views, more money, more watch time, um, just isn't healthy sometimes. Like my goal has shifted and yeah, for the first time I'm, I'm like kind of almost losing subs, like almost, which is okay because I'm doing more of what I want to do. Um, so it's like when you constantly just, rate your success based off what YouTube thinks is success that can cause problems.
2: (laughs) So Brady's a huge stats guy. He loves Uh, looking at his stats and comparing and stuff. Do you find that you don't do that then?
1: It's hard not to. Yeah. I would like to less, um, in a perfect world, I would just create what I want and not get any feedback in that sense from people who don't matter. Um, you know, if my wife is like Craig, (laughs) not good video (laughs) like okay yeah let me let me look back at the video and think why but yeah getting so much feedback from people who just haven't earned the right to give you feedback in any sense whether whether it's an email uh, a comment or just a, a a view like just knowing how many people watched your video is feedback in a binary sense and it could be good and bad you know it's it's can be addicting. Yeah. Are you addicted? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: completely addicted to that stuff. Even with my YouTube channel for Alaskan Tapes, you know, it's only got 4,000 subscribers or whatever, but I, and it gets like 200 to 500 views a video. Um, but even though in my scope, in my life, YouTube does not matter, it doesn't make me money. It's not, I'm a musician, I'm not a YouTuber as much as I would like to be. Um, I still pay attention to it, and I still track it, and I—I I don't know why I do that, but I also get a lot of joy from it too, right? Seeing the seeing the line go up, even if it's not going up very fast, um, <laughs> the line you, go up. <laughs> but then you
2: also get a lot of disappointment when it goes down. So it's like it does definitely control emotions in that way. Yeah. That's
1: true. Mm-hmm. It is yeah.
0: very interesting.
1: when it goes down, it hurts because we saw it go up, you know, it just switches, constantly controls our expectations instead of us controlling our expectations for ourselves and our own goals.
0: And um, I don't know if you feel this way majority of the time, but for me, at least like the stuff that I'm creating now, I think is way better than what it was before, you know? So a video that got 50,000 views and then the one that I think is, or the song that I think is way better got 200. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense right um Mm. but it's also i guess youtube is a different beast because music is a lot of peer-to-peer sharing that's how it kind of grows or playlisting on on spotify now um Mm. but it, it just seems like a lot of stuff just doesn't get put in front of an audience and i guess on youtube the algorithm does a pretty good job making sure it at least has a chance to be put in front of people right for the most part
2: do you relate to that mindset, though, of, of, like, your newest stuff is your best stuff, or do you look back and...
0: <laughs> Sorry, I went ahead of myself. And
2: Yeah, you kind of mentioned that quickly, <laughs> and I just want to hear if Craig feels that the same way.
1: Yeah, I thought about, like, how I would answer that, and I don't think... I know. It's weird because I'll, I'll watch some old videos and be like, wow, this is better than I remember. Mm-hmm. But then again... I don't know. It's, I don't think I'm making things better and better. And I'm also trying to think about whether that's important to me or Mm. not. I don't know. Cause I've definitely, there's so many metrics, like the amount of work that goes in the quality of the work, how aligned the work is with what you want to create, how much money you make from it. Yeah. Whether it's, it's good or bad. That's a tough one. I'm going to definitely think mm-hmm. about that all day today. Thank Aww. you. For <laughs> it it kind of goes hand in hand with like the, you know, people
0: call it like the Mr. Beastification of YouTube. Right. And this is something I think about a lot because I'm actively trying to go against that. And it seems like you kind of are too, you know, with, with silent hiking, you're not cutting every five seconds and yelling into the camera kind of thing, which has always been a thing on YouTube. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, Nice knowing your, your mindset and how you're wanting to do what feels like long form content instead of, you know, little bite sized things, uh, which I personally appreciate. And that's what I gravitate towards, even though, you know, algorithms don't necessarily right. But
1: yeah, yeah. It's like growth at all costs. Just trying to grow more money, more followers, more, you know, just do anything to get that verse what do I want? Not letting anyone tell me what I want and then just figuring out a way to satisfy my own goals. Yeah, because I, you know, I I could go on a bunch of hikes again this year and do silent hiking and do what is expected of me and attach sponsors and make money and get views. But I got burnt out last year. And one thing that I want to change is just, I want to go on trips that I want to go on versus feeling like I need to go on one every month. So, yeah, it's just it's just renegotiating that and it always comes back to like one for me, one for them is usually the way to go about it, like the Radiohead method. Is that the Radiohead method? <laughs> yeah, that's what Why they, they did for that? their albums, right? One for the label, one for oh. themselves. Or supposedly, yeah. at least. Did they talk about that or did people just pick up on it?
0: I think I think Tom York talks about it, um,
1: but I don't know if that was I think it's that. a healthy balance. Mm-hmm. Me too. Do you, do you identify with that method a little bit?
0: I want to say yeah, but I don't think so. Um, hmm. At this point, I think I'm, you know, I might be getting ahead of myself here, but I think I'm making music for algorithms at this point. You know, I'm, I'm also kind of burnt out as Chantel knows which is the reason we're doing a podcast maybe i'll get some inspiration again um trying something different yeah yeah but you know there's this there's this overwhelming pressure which i'm sure you do too just to get as much out as you can and something i've never subscribed to like i like an album a year maybe an ep in between but now it's like singles every six weeks you know do anything you can to get a song out whether it's good or bad um
2: Gotta, and have co- uh, control, <laughs> gotta have quality control though. Gotta have quality,
0: exactly. But a lot of people don't, and a lot of labels don't, and yeah. it doesn't matter because, as long as you have one hit on TikTok, <laughs> right? That'll, that apparently is the only metric that people are looking at now.
1: Um, yeah and how does a musician increase their productivity like do you just overwork yourself like what kind of automation could you do to like produce more in the same time frame like i don't know if you would hire someone to like help you produce or i don't know
0: it's it's in in my sort of genre in the ambient genre a lot of people do do everything by themselves including myself right so Hmm. it's like kind of not frowned upon but you don't want you want to learn every instrument. You don't want to hire session musicians all the time. Um, but I, I don't know what, what you could actually do in terms of automation. Like, I guess, honestly, just having a good rigorous work ethic is, like, the way to go. Because eventually, eventually you'll make something good, you know, and you can like, make... A- like, is
1: Drake is Drake doing everything on his elbows? <laughs> no, know. He's probably doing the <laughs> least, right? He's coming into this... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, Like, it's interesting. Like... Uh, a lot of other creators have like kind of pressured me to hire an editor or hire someone to edit shorts or I don't know, just go down that route, but I've never had success or liked it. I just wondered what it was like for musicians.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, it, it's, it's very strange, right? Cause with music, you're spending hours and hours and hours to make a two minute song or three minute or four minute. Um, and Musicians are so headstrong, right? They don't want any anybody else, for the most part. They don't want anybody else to have any input into it. They want to be able to say that they did it themselves, at least in indie music. Yeah, um, I don't know if there is like an answer to that. I don't. I don't know if there's a hmm. way to you know be more productive, more efficient. Um, it's something that I thought about a lot, and definitely on the social media side. I think if if musicians didn't have to worry about the social media side. We could be getting a lot more music done, and maybe actually hitting the goal of a single every six weeks. That is good in quality, but now you have to also focus on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, and which for the most yeah. part I enjoy, but also for the most part I hate. It's
1: you know. Do you have to though? <laughs> <laughs> I I like to compare creators to like what I see in sports or music, and one thing that I don't have good examples of people. Frank Ocean, I don't, there's like a couple artists who just drop an album and then just fuck off, yeah. you know, yeah, Frank doesn't, don't sure. do social media. Frank Ocean is a good example. Yeah. Is that someone like, is that like an ideal in the industry or are there just like hidden costs to that, that I'm not seeing because that's what I would like to do. <laughs> I would like to just drop a video and then just dip off. You know?
0: I don't, it, It's. In, I guess it goes artist to artist. Like another artist that did that was Niels Fromm. He deleted all of mm. his um, social media. I stuff, yeah. <laughs> I'm very, yeah, I talk about <laughs> that all the time. I'm like, I wish yeah. I could just do that. But he's also at a, him and Frank are at a point where they don't need to grow anymore. They, they built have a, a big mm. enough
2: community. Yeah. A
0: huge community, right? Everybody loves Niels Fromm. Yeah. Um, and he also started a label at the same time. So it seems like he just sort of shifted that, you know, that mindset into building a business,
1: which is his label. Um, So this is the point that I am obsessed with and looking at other creators across industries, what decisions they make when they have enough success, do they just get more success and more money and more reach, or do they kind of level off and just gain back freedom and just, you know, do what they want.
2: Well, like I think what you were saying is, is, he did have that and then he was like, okay, I'm good here. But then he also built his own thing with the label. Right. So he's dipping into his other interests and able to gain a second form of success, I guess, like a second, a secondary income.
1: Yeah. But like, more aligned with what he wants exactly, to do though.
2: Because exactly.
0: yeah. a great, comp- so it's like the next chapter. Yeah. Exactly. And a great comparison is him and all Arnold's because they're in like the same camp. They are, came up together. They're at, you know, the same popularity for the most part at least on in terms of numbers and stuff I don't, i'm not sure about their uh, live shows but uh niels from backed up from social media Olaf arnold's started doing more he started doing documentaries he started doing these long form dance stuff and posting all the time and he's exploded mm-hmm. right like the numbers mm-hmm. he, niels is about um half of what olifra is in terms of numbers i could be wrong about that but um I guess it all has to do with your definition of success, right? Because Nils is probably stoked and is probably stressed, right?
1: I obviously can't put words but, into their but here's, But here's the tricky thing that I'm trying to figure out. Nils probably gained freedom but is making less money and less people care and know about the, the things that he's creating that he's truly passionate about. Um, so that kind of levels off. But then this other person you're talking about, like, boosted and is more well-known, earning more money, but like what's the balance of like that person taking that extra money, that extra attention and then boosting whatever they want to be doing their passion work versus like you could stall out too much. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like you know what I mean? Like sometimes if you make a bunch of money, you can truly go do what you want and not have anyone tell you what to do. Like you get true pure freedom. So it's like a weird <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's like like one side isn't perfect. Like there's problems with both sides. Exactly. And
0: this is, you know, me and Chantel talk about this in abstract forms all Mm -hmm. the time, you know, like sometimes I'm sure you feel it too. You're just like, I do not want to post an Instagram post, you know, you're waiting too long or whatever. And it's like, what if you just don't, (laughs) nothing changes for the most part. Um, Opportunity changes. But other than that, and even, even albums, like, if you're not posting every six weeks, who cares? <laughs> like, there's so mm-hmm. much music coming out now. Like, I don't think anybody's going to miss an Alaskan Tapes release as long as one comes, you mm-hmm. know, within the year or something. Um, but it's it's yeah. this philosophy that's, that's really interesting, especially now, especially with this sort of grinding culture mm-hmm. that we have where everybody mm-hmm. wants to get as big as possible. But what does it even mean? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean anything really because at any point you can just... I don't know, do the wrong thing and people don't care anymore. Right.
2: Yeah. Whereas with some people, they have that choice to get to that level and then be like, I'm going to stop before, before it gets there, where either I'm burnt out or people are tired of me.
0: Yeah. Which is what I've always wanted. I've always thought about when, when is my retiring point? When am I stopping Alaskan tapes? Hasn't happened yet.
1: Yeah. That burnout point is important because we're talking about these things in the near term, but long term, people who just constantly do what is expected of them and what has been successful them successful for them in the past, like down the road, it'll break them. Yeah. They'll get burnt out. Whereas if you start to do, you take a risk and you start doing more of what you are passionate about, sometimes it pops off, you know, sometimes it reaches a point where it becomes successful. So I think that's like the ultimate goal.
2: What is your passion? Like if you could, you know, stop Instagram, stop all of that, what would you want to be doing with either your filmmaking or something else?
0: Also with infinite money. Yeah. No worries on money. (laughs) That's
1: always a fun question that puts people on the spot. God God mode activated. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think just the freedom is really important to me and I've been looking at why I need control in my own life. uh, uh, Why that's important to me. Um, I like to play. I like to experiment. I like to just do things at my own speed. I like to learn my own way. So like that control, that freedom is just super important to me. So whatever my, as my passions change my interests, um, just as long as I can do it my own way, I think I'll be happy. Um, video is a really good way for me to express myself. So I think I'll continue doing that for a while. I would like to become quieter and quieter as time goes on. I'd like to fade out, uh, social media wise and like expectation wise. Um, personally, you know, family, starting a family is exciting to me and stuff like that. That's an adventure. Sure. Yeah. Going back to New York.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys have a timeline on that?
1: Mm, our lease ends in May, but we're trying to think of creative ways to leave ahead of time. Nice. Mm. We're trying to calculate the amount of money like we could lose by leaving early versus the amount of joy and happiness. So it's like a mm. weird, <laughs> no. Um,
2: we experienced that once we were living in a, we were renting out a mm. townhouse and we were like, we're tired of being here <laughs> and we still mm. had like six months yep. on our our rent,
0: Yeah, do we pay the fee and just move and be happy for these six months or do we just hold on and save that money and yeah. hopefully it works out anyways, right?
2: And we, we, left. Yeah, it's a, we, we left. It's a metaphor for
1: life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I just stick it out and be an adult or do I, you know, be impulsive and just do what I want, yeah. whether it's smart or not?
2: Well, we kind of got um, lucky with it because since we were leaving to buy a house, we presented that to... Our landlord and he was like oh that changes things you don't have to actually pay the full six months for whatever reason
0: yeah he was really nice about
2: it yeah so we we did get Just pretty tell
1: lucky storytellers <laughs> story get out of it nice that's dope yeah yeah i think one answer that i didn't get to about like what i would like to do is of go back to this mentorship role because I ask myself constantly like why do I need to talk to people online why do I need to share any of these experiences like who cares about you know what I've learned and what's been successful for me is just making videos for the older or younger version of myself so like that's <laughs> it's kind of silly to think about but yeah like what do I wish I have would have known back in the day and just make videos for that. And then if other people find that interesting and helpful, win, win. For sure.
0: And that's something that we've been going through with the podcast, right? We're kind of going the opposite direction as you, where we want to find something where we can post regularly and, you know, grow something and hopefully
1: inform people or teach people through guests. Um, And it's probably helpful for you to just talk out your thoughts as well, right?
0: Yeah, I was trying to find the words for that. But um, (laughs) exactly, like, it's it's also an opportunity to finally get to talk with people who I've been half talking with for five years, you know? And Mm -hmm. and then, you know, we can also be, you know, push each other with it and make it public and, you know. But like, that's kind of, for the most part, on the back of our minds, it's mostly about actually just finally meeting people (laughs) and and reaching out and having a reason to reach out. Right?
1: Yeah. I've seen this across different aspects of my life and with other creators. And we use video and work to incentivize us to do the things that we want. Cause like we totally could have just jumped on a call and chatted yeah. with no one knowing, but having the podcast and making it in public, making money, getting some kind of reach, just whatever, all the uh, extra additives of doing this podcast is just incentivizes to do the hard things that we want to do, you know? Exactly. So it's all good. You know, I used to be like weird. Like I was like, why do I have to have podcasts with my friends? Like, why can't I just talk to them? Like, but it's, it's all good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's definitely interesting, especially when people are on the other side of the world and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah,
1: I see the similarities with like running as well. It's like running sucks. (laughs) Like I don't (laughs) want to run. There's good things that happen when I finally do it, but like to get myself to do it, maybe I should think of a running series. Like if I want to go ah, interesting. on more trail running trips, like making videos and selling tickets is a good way to incentivize me to do it. But like, I could always go do it. It's like, what's going to push me over the edge to do it. So I love using video. That's, that's the thing that I've done my whole life. Like how can I use video to get myself to do the things that I want to do? For sure.
2: It's yeah. that commitment there. It's like, okay, I've started this. I've got to keep, keep at it. Right. Yeah. And
0: everybody else will see if I don't continue it Yeah, <laughs> yes. or whatever. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. To get on the topic of music just a little bit. Um, hopefully you have the time. I don't know. You know, I guess we never put a time no. comm- commitment, but.
1: I do nothing all day. My dog is at daycare.
2: Oh my god! I, I wanted to ask about that. That is so cool, and I love that you can actually yeah. see her on your screen too. What would? Mm-hmm. What did you guys? Why did you guys make the choice to put her in daycare? Not to <laughs> stray well, I'm, off. Sorry.
1: Last year, I didn't even know about this.
2: Oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> you can, you can hold off for a minute. We're talking about my dog. No, right. I'm excited. And about doggy
2: this. daycare. That is so cool. Yeah,
1: she's she's an Australian Shepherd, and she needs to run. She uh she definitely can be like be a little sad if she doesn't get the exercise you know she's she's a crazy girl so she goes to daycare and she never sits down you know she's constantly playing she's walking around going to humans going to dogs like you know play fighting um so it tires her out it's great you know and denver's really good there's a dog daycare on every other block here everyone has dogs here it's crazy
2: that's awesome
0: what's uh what's the sort of because i know you're half training or maybe fully training her to you know become
2: a hiking dog a
0: companion for your hikes and stuff um Hmm. what's sort of like what steps do you take for that i don't because we have a dog and we adopted him when he was nine years old you know he's an old guy he's also very small um and so it was kind of regression that we were trying to do like work back to what he should have already learned when he Mm. was yeah we were retraining him retraining sorry Yeah. yeah not regression um so you know mm-hmm. bringing them to dog parks just to actually get comfortable with other dogs instead of barking at them for 15 minutes. Yeah. Um which he's gotten better. But I've always wondered like from a puppy I don't I just don't know the I don't how know how do you
2: start that training process especially with something so specific like hiking.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd like to bring her on hikes um logistically, it's tough, and usually when I do go on hikes, it's usually for work, which I'm changing, so I typically don't bring her I've only bring her brought her on small hikes with Mika, and really nothing that we've filmed you know I'm usually doing international stuff, and we can't get her on a plane. she's too big so as far as training i don't i just i was raised with dogs I don't know i don't know the Caesar Milan tricks to like training dogs I just Like she could be more behaved and we could put more effort into her training. But I also like that she jumps up on me when I come home. (laughs) It's like, like, I don't know. I'm also not letting other people tell me like how my dog should act. Like maybe she has a personality. Maybe she's a little energetic and wants to, you know, be the way she is. So I don't know how much I want to change her, but she's good. She's happy. She listens, you know, she's fine. On hikes, we can't let her off leash, though. (laughs) That would be nice, but she's just, she's still, she's not even two years old, so, you know, she's still a puppy.
2: I know, even with Oreo, when we first got him. um, Oreo. Yeah. (laughs) He's a little Oreo. He's a little Morky. Um, He was not very good even on his leash, and then, yeah, over time, Mm. after enough exposure at, like, the dog park and just being on walks and understanding that, like, we wanted him to stay beside us without... Doing anything crazy training wise, now we take him off his leash and he's fine. like there are some moments where he gets overly excited when he sees certain dogs in our neighborhood and he'll sprint towards them even when I'm yelling or he'll wait mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but for the most it's part, hard
1: to know gonna... why they do the things they do though yeah. like even raising our dog from a puppy in New York City, like what hidden things steered her behavior like I honestly think. New York City streets are disgusting, like especially on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday morning. <laughs> from the partying, there's pizza everywhere in the Lower East Side. So, I honestly think her walking on the sidewalks made her constantly look for food, mm-hmm. and because of that, like her her behavior is different oh, just because of the pizza yeah. of the Lower East Side.
2: <laughs> wow, that's really sure. interesting.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard to know. For for us, it's pretty easy because you know we can just pick him up yeah you know he's one of those dogs like literally just under the arm he's and like one yeah. yeah he's seven pounds oh he's very stubborn too
2: like if he doesn't want to go one way he'll be like i'm not going there like yeah, i want stand. to go this way a lot of the times we just mm. give him his way honestly yeah. Yeah. we're big sasha push-overs. is
1: 40 45 oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> double hander we,
1: yeah we thought she'd be smaller but she's she's a big girl.
2: Aww.
0: Literally yeah. eight times the size of Oreo. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. Jesus, can't even imagine that.
2: I know.
1: And Toronto's cool. Like I've I've been up there a bunch of times. Uh, you know, I, I thought a you know it's it's kind of like a mini New York in a sense, not with the waterways and stuff. But I I got a cool. I liked it. Do you do like? Do you see yourself being there for a while? Or
0: well, we're lucky to be in the suburbs i'm not so much of a city guy you know didn't grow up in the city i would rather just not go (laughs) half the time so we're we're like we're like 40 minutes out of the out of the downtown core
2: i like being close to it though like there's a lot of stuff there to do right there's entertainment and a lot of art That's, that's true yeah yeah
1: do you naturally find yourself going into the city or does it take some kind of effort because like we're we're like twenty minutes from downtown Denver, and like we've been there probably like, ten times.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we tend to just not right unless unless I'm going down there for a meeting or we want to go to the art gallery,
2: or if there's like someone playing down there that we really want to go see. Or, yeah, or yeah. some restaurant. Like
1: it, it has to be a very
0: specific reason. Mm-hmm. We won't just go down, right?
2: Yeah, we don't just go browse around Toronto.
1: Yeah, even though maybe yeah, what's we should. the Toronto musician? vibe like do you guys have a lot of musician friends or
2: pretty much all of them <laughs>
0: yeah our only friends are musicians but uh we've what it's like three
2: <laughs> yeah and these aren't people we grew up with right like these are people that mm-hmm. you met through your music and we're like oh you live around here cool let's meet up yeah um, exactly
0: yeah i have a couple of friends so with studios and stuff and, and it's always really cool the collaborative stuff that goes down mm-hmm. um but montreal is definitely the better music city i think um yeah. hmm. Because a a lot of the musicians here just, you know, they're hip-hop or, well, mostly hip-hop, honestly. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Not a lot of people. Are you friends with Drake? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) No, That's interesting, yeah. I, I definitely find that I miss talking about my work and my thoughts with other creators since moving from New York. Like, I take for granted how many creator friends I had there. Um, and I've tried to find some people in Denver, but it's just not enough.
0: That's pretty interesting too. Like, do you find it, you know, maybe not so much now, but do you, do you find that I'm trying to find a way not to be harsh about this one? Um, do you find that you get alienated because of, you know, your job? Like even, even with Um, family and stuff, I find that. I kind of do. And
2: when it comes to making friends in general, like kind of having yeah. to open up about that, like, Oh, I don't, I don't just work a nine to five office job. I mean, technically you can say, you yeah. Do. Yeah. Now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Most people I know have more of a traditional mindset of just doing what is expected of them to make money. Uh, whereas the biggest difference between me and myself and them would be just the trying to get freedom yeah. at every turn. Um, It's weird, you know, especially marrying my wife because she was opposite of the boat. She was, you know, she fell in love with me uh, partly because of my personality of being free and doing what I want, breaking the mold. And I fell in love with her because she brought some like warmth and comfort and stability and like a vision of the other side. So we definitely met, met in the middle. Um, but in New York city, there's just so many other people who are like minded. It's like such a grind, create, hustle, creator focused city. So I think to do what I do and like have the friends that I had, like being in New York city was so important, like uh, in my hometown, it would have been so different, like,
2: where did you grow up? Yeah, on? just,
1: uh, upstate New York, okay. Okay. like Rochester. Yeah, so I hiked in the Adirondacks, and I love that area. Yeah. yeah, we love it, too. I, I only really know, like, the Syracuse area. Is that is Rochester near that? Mm, a little bit of a drive, but it's like Rochester is closer to Toronto than Syracuse, you know. I think Finger Lakes, Buffalo, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we must
0: drive um, through it. But, yeah, the Adirondacks, oh, my God. I love that area so much. We try to mm-hmm. go up at least once a year.
2: We actually found out about the Adirondacks through our trip to Colorado. Which yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, through a friend yeah.
0: there, and then when we were first going, I think you already had your video of uh, Mount Marcy up.
2: Yeah, and so we were, were watching that. that.
0: Still haven't done Mount Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> I to really
2: be want fair. to.
0: <laughs> but you know, we did the pyramids, and, and we did uh, a bunch of other other mm-hmm. ones.
1: It's a very unforgiving area to hike. It's so rooted and and uh, muddy, and just doing. Usually I could do 20 to 25 miles of most any trail per day. But in the Adirondacks, like, I'm lucky if I can do 10. Like, it's insane really? how difficult it is. Yeah, honestly.
2: We yeah. we did get a taste of that last time. Like, we usually go towards the end of August. Um, I can't remember when we went last time, like, what month it was. But anyways, Yeah, it was definitely it rainy, was though. Definitely a lot more wet than the end of August. And we weren't even going that fast. We were coming down... And I actually slipped on a root like it it came out. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it. I was looking right at it <laughs> and my foot mm-hmm. just landed weird. And I slipped and smashed the base of my tailbone right off of it. And I was like, I'm fine. Yikes. Let's keep going. <laughs> we like Yikes. pushed through it and everything. But
0: And then we're doing yeah. two peaks. So you actually did the peak after that yeah. somehow.
2: And then it wasn't until the yeah, next two, day. Two
1: peaks is ambitious. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then the next day I went bent down normally to grab something and it was just like, oh, <laughs> no nope, you're not doing that and then the whole rest of the trip we were out and i was like no <laughs> but Damn.
1: and you you still want to hike after that i
2: still want to go i love the adirondacks okay. it's great yeah hiking's
0: more your thing than my thing yeah. i have a top man hiking is hard <laughs> like a lot of people think it's you know just walking and stuff and i'm like oh my I god i mean when
2: you're used to being so sedentary <laughs> you know like also you growing
0: up like. in in toronto you know there's nothing you know our highest elevation is what 300 meters or something
2: that's true
1: Yeah. It's just forests and lakes out there. The further north you go, it's just crazy. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But, um,
0: have you ever had to deal with like injuries in, in the middle of a, in the middle of a hike?
1: No, I should have the amount that I did and the crazy things that I put myself into, but I've never, you know, other than Kilimanjaro, just starting a big hike sick and then just getting more and more sick. Oh wow. Uh, you know, I had to tap out before I reached the summit. Um no. I've been pretty good. That's good. Yeah, lucky. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I've been lucky. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna cash in my chips. I'm not gonna do any more dangerous hikes. People are like, Are you gonna keep, like are you gonna do alpine stuff and and you know? crazier peaks and you going to do Everest. Yeah. No, I'm not <laughs> going to do those.
2: Things. <laughs> <laughs> what is the training process like for you when you are re- like getting ready to embark on a, a bigger trail or hike than ones you've done before? Do you train?
1: Um, there's really no training other than if there's altitude, mm. you know, mm. elevation involved. If you fly into Cusco, Peru, you'll get hit and feel sick for 24 hours And then if you do any walking uphill, you know, it'll feel very difficult. So if you're going to do like an even more difficult hike after flying into somewhere like that, you know, you have to actually train and do some day hikes before you go on the big one. But other than that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm walking as much as I can every day. And that's also why I love New York city. It's such a walking city. Um, yeah, just the altitude. Have you guys ever felt elevation? Sickness? When we sickness? Were, no. No,
2: when we were in Colorado, that was the the highest elevation we've ever... And we did a hike there as well. Um, oh. I remember we were feeling like... We could definitely feel the air.
0: Yeah, we were out of breath. For yeah,
2: sure. like the way we were breathing, we were like, this is weird. We've never felt this before. And it was really hot and sunny that day. And we just kept seeing signs saying, like, make sure you drink water. Make sure you have sunscreen. So we kept mm. reapplying, drinking water. Like, we made sure to... To try and do our best to follow those rules, so that you know nothing bad did happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope at some point you f- you really feel it, like on um, on um, I don't know, I don't know where like I don't know what a good starter is. Probably, honestly, like Cusco. Like, yeah. if you ever want to do the Inca Trail or you know Machu Picchu or anything like that, flying into Cusco, you'll feel it. I think you'll feel it. So I'm curious. So, yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> I know there was a video where um Mika was with you, and you guys went hiking, and she felt altitude sickness. What mm. what hike was that on? i Can't remember.
1: I'm trying to remember. Probably Colorado. Okay. Like thirteen thousand feet. Yeah. So Denver's a mile up. At like what, four thousand, five thousand? Mm-hmm. I should know. Um, yeah, people typically feel it around ten thousand feet. So
0: I think yeah. that's you know. what we were around eight thousand to ten thousand mm-hmm. because we went to uh, Estes Park, yeah. I think it's what it's called, uh, and nice. whatever
1: road Rock, Rocky Mountain.
0: Yeah, okay. it was awesome, but yeah. we were only there for like three days. It sucked. Yeah, um, mm. can't wait to go back. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a weird feeling. You know, it's kind of just
2: mm. nauseating almost. It's, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I had a question about music. Mm. I've <laughs> It's been something I've been telling, like, I'm sure so many video people are like, I should just start making music. Like, but I feel like ambient and lo-fi is probably easy, like a good start easier. Yeah. Especially lo-fi. I don't know.
2: Mainly because like, you, it's you, all in the you, box, I guess. Like there's not really. In a box. In the box. Like, um. There's done no through the computer. Gear. Yeah. yeah. There doesn't need to be any actual gear. Right.
1: Yeah. I could just use my MacBook to make the music you're saying, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, lo is really
0: good too. Cause there's so many resources, right? Like just type it in on YouTube and you'll find so many tutorials and s- sample packs and mm-hmm. literal. Steps. Yeah. I've watched like a couple of YouTube
1: videos mm-hmm. and it, and it seems good, but then I do the cost benefit analysis. Like I could go through the work and it would be hard at first and spend hours making you know my first lofi be original or i could spend 10 minutes and find some royalty free yeah. and then just c- properly credit uh as they ask and be done with it so it's like what's the long term benefit of making my own music <laughs> if i'm not like becoming a spot like get a spotify artist and like cuz i've i've seen a couple youtube creators make joke raps and then publish it as Spotify artists and then they start to make more and it like they literally become musicians in a sense uh and like Joji is one of my favorite musicians and I think one of the best examples of a a insane YouTube creator becoming (laughs) a popular artist so
0: you know Joji's I so his whole thing you know with (laughs) was when I was growing up. Right. So I like attached myself to that side of YouTube and it's so weird looking back on it. Like it was bad stuff, like really bad.
1: Oh, what he created. created. And then,
0: but what he is now, he's like one of the biggest artists in the world.
1: You know, it's like he tried to like, you know, there's, there's kind of a meme online that Joji stands who are like 18 years old, find out the moment they find out that filthy Frank is Joji. They're like, what exactly? (laughs) Like this is not okay. (laughs) Exactly. Um, it's such a weird thing. Yeah. I love his music. And like back in the day I liked his stuff, but yeah, they're definitely problematic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's so many video essays and stuff coming out about it now, like every other week somebody else is bringing it up. Um, yeah. And so you watch them and you're like, Jesus, but, uh, it making music is, is just really good. Especially if you feel like you start to get good enough to actually release it, you know, like there is money to be made, even though it's, you know, kind of frowned upon to be making music for money or whatever, Um, especially in the lo-fi space. Like there's a lot of outlets there to monetize and, you know, actually gain, like build an audience, right? Um, Ambient, not so much because I feel like a lot of people who start making Ambient get really bored of it. I could be wrong about that. and I don't have any, you know, actual proof or information about that. But it's kind of the vibe that I get. Mm. A lot of lo-fi producers make a side project for ambient music. And then they release one album four years ago. And they've never come back to it. You know, so it's mm. kind of makes sense. Especially because it's not as involved. And you can't, like, you know headbang not headbang but like
1: nod to it 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 is different yeah like I remember editing the audio for my hiking films and as much as possible I tried to blend transition and just kind of soften the natural sounds of the hike so that it kind of became its own ambient soundtrack yeah and I, I, I liked using some of your stuff and other pieces that had kind of what I would call wind rain vibes mm-hmm. because it was almost like it occurred naturally and wasn't music. It's almost like you get a sense of music, but it's not in your face, you know, which is ambient, which is yeah, like, it,
0: that's it, what ambient means. It, so it's exactly. Like, but you know, a subgenre of ambient music is field recordings, right? Like people mm. take field recordings very seriously and make them musical in abstract ways instead of just, you know, setting up your field recorder and, you know, recording the trees, um, or a river, like, They make these really intricate pieces, really interesting stuff. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, To me, I think everybody should make music. I think it's very rewarding. I think it's, you know, Hmm. flexes a part of your brain that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. I think editing a YouTube video is a lot like making music, though. I really do think that because it goes with structure and yeah. it goes with with patterns and and even filming you know you know you have your source thing and then you have to make it into a product kind of thing um hmm. in an abstract way obviously and even all, all the all the uh, programs like premiere is very similar to fl studio or ableton whereas you get your clips or your or your midi loops and you can copy paste and it's, it's all very um similar i think
1: so, so as a musician, are you paying a lot of attention to OpenAI and ChatGPT and all of the AI generation that's going on with graphic arts right now? It's kind of being disrupted.
0: Yeah, I, I like it personally a lot of the time. I understand where it can be problematic. Um, I think there is the theft theft, and there's nothing more you know organic and nice as like knowing somebody made something, but using ai mm. and generative stuff like ambient music has had a lot of generative moments in it since the beginning brian Eno you know made stuff in the 70s that was completely completely generative um mm. obviously not ai but um it's it's interesting and i might you know people might hate me for saying i kind of like it but uh it can definitely be a tool right like we all use stuff now that wasn't available 10 years ago that just helps with the workflow right like, I've been yeah. using the AI stuff on Photoshop for years now. I love it. You know, like the um, AI generated whatever it's called. I can't even remember the name of it. It's, but
2: I don't know. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Um, but, but yeah, machines doing this better than humans is just a trend that's happening across all categories, just in different times. You know, graphic design kind of just fell, but the next domino, I would say, I, I would say music would be. I don't know. It's just, it's just so mathematical and there's just patterns that can be analyzed and there will always be some aspect of like a demand for home, homemade human generated art. And if that increases the price and scarcity, that'll probably happen. But like video, you know, is another domino that will fall photo. Definitely all the creative arts, like even just, recommendations. Like there used to be a time when only humans would make good recommendations. Like where should you work? Who should you date? Like what is the best movie you should watch right now? What should you eat? Like now algorithms make all those recommendations for us. So it's like, I don't know. I just see a lot of similarities between all of these categories. So like at what point will we have an AI be able to just you input a song that you like, and then it outputs a hundred similar songs in that style, but completely original. And you know there already is stuff
0: like that. And with, with lyrics and with vocals too, which is, that's the craziest part to me. Like I, yeah. I can definitely yeah. see AI coming for the lo-fi ambient scene, like nothing, you know, that's honestly wouldn't even be that hard, I don't think. Um,
1: and then they could generate a voice to sing the lyrics that they made. <laughs> like animation i think is all like i secretly think most of the animation on netflix is already generated entirely by ai but like <laughs> it's it's scary but it's inevitable and at, we have to just accept it in our own way
2: yeah on, I'm, on our own I'm path i'm very but. opposite from brady i'm not not so good at accepting the <laughs> idea of it i <laughs> i don't like it
0: i think that eventually though all it will become is a tool you know
2: Like it already has. The best
0: thing ever would be to sit down and not have a writer's block because AI has already come up with the the base of what you should do.
1: I I would compare that to painters. Like I'm sure at some point, like there's nothing that could paint like in the Renaissance or whatever era, like, but now there's like machines that can just print a photo perfectly Mm -hmm. like every time. So it's like it's, I see similarities with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be both good and bad. I think we're going to go through a big
0: wave of AI just completely messing up everything, like the way that we Mm. currently do things, but it'll come back down. And, and
2: I don't think it's going to go like, I think it's going to go on the same path it has, where it's just going to kind of slowly sneak its way into our life. And then we're going to look back and be like, wait, yeah, I got that recommendation from the internet, not from my family and friends. And
0: (sighs) But you you do use AI as a tool, even for like, I haven't subscribed to anybody on YouTube for years. I just go on my homepage and they know what I want to watch. Yeah. But I'm the one picking it. AI isn't the one picking it. So true. it's just a tool in yeah. that way. Like AI could just, I go on my computer and it throws up the video for me and I have to watch it, right? But obviously that
1: might not be a great analogy, but... But it is getting better and better. At some yeah. point, I think in the near future, it literally could pick... It could tell you what to watch next, and it would be the perf- perfect thing.
2: <laughs> With TikTok, does it not? Yeah, I don't oh, use TikTok, yeah, so already. I'm not sure how to. Point. But yeah, you don't you click a video, and then you just keep scrolling, and you can pick or choose if you want to skip past it. Obviously, but it's kind of like right in your face, before yeah, you have a choice. To, there's there's to good there. and bad though. Yeah, for sure.
0: I, I mean, as so, as a photographer and a cinema, cinematographer and a YouTube editor and stuff, like, how do you feel about that? Are you are you worried? <laughs> about the next five years, 10 years,
1: or are you could just kind of going with it? I don't try to fight it at all. I don't, you know, I, I have no control over it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I can only control what I can control. And that's my understanding of it. The more I understand it, the more I, better decisions I can make myself. So yeah, I don't try to fight it at all. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, things are changing faster and faster so it can become scary. Yeah. And you know, I'm 32, so at what point it's like do I give up and just become one of those old people but I still feel the need to stay on the edge and learn things and you know I'm yeah. It's a struggle. It's, <laughs> it's definitely interesting cuz
0: I don't as, at least in my you know in ambient music people have typically embraced technological change um whether it's generative stuff or synthesizers or whatever um although I, I do see all the time people like just absolutely hating on everything um what's the what's the photo one is that open ai probably yeah honestly uh, i've actually never used any of them either i've never actually looked into them so i mean i'm not worried at least not yet. We'll, we'll start seeing mm-hmm. when my paycheck goes away, but uh, yeah.
1: But as, as we gain more tools, I think we'll gain more freedom to like find new things to keep us entertained and to create and be creative. So I'm not worried about that, you know?
0: Yeah. Start building our own AI systems. Everybody that's <laughs> going to be the artist. That'll be cool. No, well,
1: but then the AI is going to create better AI systems than us. Whoa. So. Oh yeah. True. true. <laughs> it gets into that. <laughs> yeah. Let's just end this podcast on a yeah. <laughs> <Just> dystopian downer. <laughs> oh Need to go watch some movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: It definitely is an interesting conversation, one that I love. It's it's like a brain teaser thing, yeah. you know. And I love thinking about it. And it feels yeah. like it's going slower than maybe it actually is, but I don't know.
2: Have to yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. the more the more that I expand like my sphere of like what I pay attention to and care about, like the sadder I get, like, yeah, exactly. you know, once you expand the bubble to the size of the universe, you're like, none of this matters, but it's like, sometimes it's good to just to keep within my own little sphere of influence. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if I start thinking about AI, ugh, <laughs> it ruins my day. Oh no. <laughs> um, With all that being said though, um,
0: do you have any other questions or conversation points i feel like we did you uh, ask
2: your music question you wanted to ask that i music we interrupted question. with the doggy daycare
0: <laughs> i don't know i, I don't remember <laughs>
1: um yeah it was probably yeah sorry for making this like the least music-based episode you've ever done probably <laughs> you know, no we went cool. in
2: knowing that it was gonna be like that and that's fine this is more a platform for speaking with other creators and how that does wrap around and connect to music a lot of the time
1: yeah. Like even yeah.
2: even for you with your influence, like how does music influence you on a day to day basis?
1: I listen to music a lot, but compared to other people I know, I definitely listen to instrumentals more so than usual. Um, it just I try to find mu- music that matches my mood. So, you know, I, I listen to a lot of classical, a lot of ambient, a lot of sad music. I, I one comment that I get occasionally, which I think is hilarious is that, like, why are you using such sad music? Like, I thought someone died. Like, why are you oh. <laughs> using such sad music in your vlogs? Like, I thought you you were going to break up with your wife or something. Like, it's just so funny. Um, but I, I just like using emotional music for some reason. I think it's funny sometimes to just subvert those expectations because, yeah, I don't know what people expect. So th- thank you for making... <laughs> Sadder than usual music sometimes. <laughs> you know what's funny about that
0: though? I've, I've heard so many different things. Like I'll make a song and I'll be like, oh my God, this is like the saddest song I've ever made. And then I'll put it out and people will be like, this is so uplifting. And I'm yeah. like, am I just wired wrong? Like, yeah. do I not understand? you be like,
1: are you, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: But are there any, um, I know a lot of people hate this question. And I hate this question too. Um, <laughs> but are there any like um, specific artists that you sort of gravi- gravitate towards?
1: Hmm. I should just have one to the top of my mind, but I'm curious to know what my Spotify says. Also, do you share your Spotify? Cause, okay, so people follow artists on Spotify. Does it, cause like when I follow my friends, I can see what they're listening to, mm-hmm. but as an artist on Spotify, people can't listen to like what you're listening to, right? Yeah, not unless different. you
0: make like a playlist or something. That'd be cool, okay. though. I think. But I'm saying,
1: like, in the friend activity.
0: Yeah, no, that'd be a really cool feature. I think, like, hmm. see who you're following and what they're listening to.
1: People. Yeah, because that's what I I use the, the friend activity for. But
0: he's talking about friend, you have to be like a friend, oh, yeah, only, instead of mm-hmm. just following like an artist. But like
1: once you're verified artist, you're not like a friend. Yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: Yeah, you still have like a profile technically, which is where your playlists live, and you can friend those.
1: Yeah. Avatars. Yeah, true. <laughs> but um. Cause like I, I've put my personal Spotify playlist out and had people follow. Um, and it's interesting. Like why would anyone care what music I'm listening to? But it is funny. I think it's
0: really interesting. It That's tells interesting. a lot about a person.
2: Not um, only that, but it expands your own sound <laughs> palette. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you trust
0: yeah. the person, yeah, you can definitely find a lot of really yeah. good music and stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's the same thing as like what people are watching on Netflix or what movies they watch. People are interested. Um, Personally, like washed out has been a big staple of my last couple of years. I don't know if you know that Mm -hmm. Tame Impala is great. Uh, recently, uh, I think the genre is called funk. Oh, you've been (laughs) into funk really? Oh, that's funny. It's so aggressive and insane. (laughs) I listened to it in specific moments of my life and it helps me. Uh, and then Aphex, Aphex twin. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. They're great. So So going into that recently.
2: What is yeah. funk?
1: Funk is like It's like it's like a weird electronic for internet people. Yeah, it's like really aggressive bass and
2: oh, okay. just
0: aggressive Yeah. Fast. Yeah. But also the whole we've been looking into a lot of like gloomcore wave mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It mm-hmm. it fits into that too, the wave.
1: Oh, okay. Gloomcore. <laughs> gloomcore. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Gloomcore. You know, the name of it That's I'm hilarious.
1: like Whoa. Cause you think they, they came up with all the names, like how many yeah. more genres of music could there be?
2: There's still <laughs> so many, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: Funk and core. there's like
2: sub genres and stuff. It's confusing.
0: There's so, yeah, I think I read an article lately that, um, Spotify has, um, categorized over 4,000 genres. Mm-hmm. I think it said, hmm. like, which is nuts. Cause you, you haven't heard of more than, uh, at least I haven't heard of more than 75 probably, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you pay attention to your for you discovery playlist?
0: Uh, I did for a while. I haven't lately. Like the discover weeklies and stuff, and like the yeah whatever few. it's called.
2: I find mine's very repetitive. Like yeah, it, we listen to our
0: daily mixes a lot. Yeah,
2: but it's always the same songs. Yeah. <laughs> and sure. I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Like I listen to other stuff during other times and then sometimes we're like you know i just want to put on something that i know i'll vibe with right now and i go to my daily mixes which is all curated by spotify and i'm like this is the same songs as last year (laughs) or you know a week ago
0: as easy as it is to like discover new music now i find it so difficult honestly like i only find a new artist once every like maybe maybe once a month I'll get really into a new artist. Maybe Maybe that's a little bit too much.
2: Mm -hmm. I find new artists frequently. I don't get attached to new artists frequently.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. That's fair, too. Yeah. Do you guys make a ton of playlists on Spotify, like, for each season of your life? Like, my wife does? Oh, (laughs) that's
2: so sweet. Kind Kind of. of, Yeah.
0: Yeah, we make a lot of them. Um, It kind of sucks, too, because, you know, my... Alaskan tapes playlist is like public so like people are really looking for that so you kind of start to overthink it instead of putting stuff that you're really liking on there um but yeah we have a lot of private ones yeah for sure that we go back to every day
1: mostly um Hmm. because i'm very much in trust in the algorithm i'll just listen to a playlist and then whatever song i like the most like i'll listen to that playlist to the death and then once I'm feeling something new, I just make a new radio from one of those songs and then do the same thing to that. So I just jump from curated playlist to playlist.
2: I I enjoy doing that. I've been
1: hearing a
0: lot of people do that, like the artist radio or song radio. Um, that's like the new thing to do. And I'm surprised that Spotify hasn't made it easier Mm -hmm. to do that. Um, are you guys all Spotify, or do you use Apple Music? Pretty much Spotify.
2: Just yeah. Spotify, Pretty
0: yeah. Much Spotify, yeah. I, I subscribe to all of them because you kind of have to. I but. guess
2: I use YouTube Music as well, but that's more for, like, live videos. I like to watch a lot of live music. Yeah. Stuff. yeah.
1: Hmm. Music videos.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially the live one, like, the live performances.
2: Yeah.
1: Are you guys still making music videos? How much is the video aspect of, like, the visuals for your music is at... Of any interest, oh absolutely or
0: I love it right the The songs that have had high budget music videos for me are the ones that always stick out to me and mean the most, but they're mm. so expensive to do and so complicated
2: like and you don't really ever make your full money back you never
0: make your money back no yeah. it's like passion projects, it's a for it's a
1: marketing
2: yeah,
0: marketing yeah, marketing thing right, but it the, nothing pushes it anymore, you know, um, mm. the way that I do music videos is like. Allow a uh, director or DP to make a short film, and then we kind of just put the music to it, and we say it's both a short film and a music video at the same time. But okay. That's what I like. Because to- I
1: think there was a point in my life where I would discover new artists because of the music video.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I think that's changed. Yeah, I don't know what the value of music videos are these days. Yeah, it's not very high. We still discover a little bit of music, especially
0: yeah. when it's like an animated music video mm-hmm. or something, like something really interesting. Um, hmm. or dance video or, or something or more
2: story based. So any type any type of music video, essentially.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they'll just get on our radar. Yeah.
1: I bet social media in general just changed the, the value of music videos. Like before, you know, m- music videos was like the thing really important. Yeah, exactly. Everything. Yeah.
0: And, and the interesting thing is now too, is like, you're kind of expected to have a music video for every song you put out now, or at least, That's crazy. at least a visualizer, right? like some sort of visual yeah. asset cuz what are you going to post on Instagram if you don't have some sort of visual movement right so it's it's a really interesting thing
1: that's what i would call a port you know you originally made the piece for audio mm-hmm. but if you want to get more get it make it more accessible to people on the platform of their choosing i would call that a port oh you, know, okay. you make the youtube version you make the You know, so if I made a a video for YouTube, if I want to just rip the audio and put it on anchor Mm -hmm. for a podcast, I would call that a port, you know, and if I shoot a YouTube video and then crop it and trim it for TikTok, you can tell that it's not originally made for that platform. So it just doesn't have the same effect. So yeah, every video you would make would probably be a port, right?
0: Pretty much, I think. Yeah, the music is never really made, unless I'm scoring something, it's never really made for visuals. Um, It's always just something after the afterthought, right, where you're just like, I hope this works, you know, video Mm -hmm. of flowers or something that are
1: all distorted or or whatever. Because you don't have to have a music video. Mm -hmm. You know, the music, the the audio files, the most important, and everything else is just additional yeah
0: i think most of the streaming services you can't even watch music videos on them anymore i know you can on like apple now and i think amazon maybe but Mm. spotify you can't i don't think
1: do they let you do the little like three second loops yeah spotify i've been seeing so many of those is that the new music video
0: yeah i guess so i and i don't know how much i like those either because it's so limiting and like they say that You know, it gets listened to 20% more when it has a canvas, which is, yeah, what those are called. A canvas. Yeah, and I don't see that, you know. most majority, you can see how many times the canvas was viewed versus how many times the song was listened to. And it, it doesn't correlate, really.
2: I feel like people usually go to Spotify and stuff to listen to music, and they turn their phone off. Yeah. So that's probably why, right? But I've even done it a couple times where if I'm looking at what I'm listening to and there's a cool visual to it, I'll go type in that song and see if there is a music video that goes along with it. So That's it-
0: true. Yeah, especially if they have a very interesting one. Yeah. It's usually ported from the, the, the yeah. music video. Yeah, which is how we yeah. found... I can never remember his name. Still Woozy. Still Woozy.
2: Well, actually, no, I found him through Instagram because oh, yeah, I follow through- Felicia Chow, the artist, and she shared that she was a part of the music video and then we watched the music video. So it wasn't through Spotify. (laughs) Never mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of similar to an album art, album art, right? Like music doesn't need album art, you know, unless you're doing vinyls, like you could just have a generic profile pick for your artist profile and just use that. But like people choose to have different art for different albums so it's like choosing different art for the canvases is just a further extension of that, right?
0: Exactly, because especially since it doesn't have to match the single art or whatever, it's just an extension on the meaning of the song or the mood of it, um, yeah. which really concretes the sort of idea of it. Which is really interesting when you when you start to think about music and like how much else actually goes into it and like what you need to think of, um, because I think for you it's like the opposite. You need to start thinking about the thumbnail once you, the edit is done, right? Um, which how, how much time do you put into that? Do you spend any time? Not that much. Yeah.
1: I know that I could get more views if I put titles in my thumbnails, but I never do just out of principle. Okay. Um, yeah, like most things, there's just more work you could do to get more views and more money and more attention. But at some point you have to say enough is enough. I'm happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to put the uh, red circle with the arrow pointing to it.
1: (laughs) I could probably get more views if every hike had a secret that you have to click the video to find out. But
2: clickbait. (laughs)
1: You'll never expect what he found on this hike. Exactly, and it was himself the whole time.
2: (laughs) I like that you stick to your values, though. Like you seem like you know what you want to do with your film and your stuff, and you know you don't let anything else gear that.
0: Yeah, it feels good. It feels, like, comfortable, like, you know, just trustworthy almost, right? Yeah. As a creator, instead Mm of, you know, pandering to every single little cliche or whatever that you... Most people play, you know, it's a game now to a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people just do as much as they can to get every single little
1: value of watch time. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be tough, like, describing what that is, though, like... As much as I want, I don't want to. Comp- I just want to. I just want to exist and do, and just let anyone come to any conclusions and put me in whatever boxes they want. Uh, whereas, if you constantly compare yourself in opposition, like defining who you are by not being this person or doing this, I don't know. I feel like that could be like a slippery slope for sure. So, yeah, it's tough talking about labels. <laughs> it's just <laughs> easier to not to let other people do it for sure. And I, and I see the similarity with like social media. Like I am not on Twitter. I don't want to be on Twitter just because it wasn't bringing much joy. Like obviously there's some value that could be gained from it money and attention wise, but yeah, I'll just let other people talk about me on Twitter if they want. Um, yeah, I compare that to just like placing labels and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Damn, there is so much I gotta think about today. You guys are uh. <laughs> in a good way. Like, I just shot. Like, I am gonna edit the video, but I've got so many more ideas. You've invigorated the, the the passion I have for like not only just trying to figure out what it is that I am thinking and and want, and but just like how I could express it. So, you know, thank you for that. Yeah, and I am glad that we like got to chat. And if I am in Toronto or you are in New York. Let's, of course, meet up. Absolutely. Grab a coffee. Are you guys coffee drinkers?
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of We All Speak in Poems. And a big thank you to Craig Adams as well. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you in about two weeks.